1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in.
2: Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Melissa Lee, and today for Scott Wapner, Scott Stocks bouncing back after yesterday's sharp drop. Should you trust this rebound? And is the Santa Claus rally still on? We'll debate that in the best place for your money in the remaining few days of the year into 2022. Our investment committee today, Jason Snipe, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, and Josh Brown. Let's get a check on the markets at this hour. Stocks are higher after three days of losses down. S&P coming off their worst level since the beginning of the month. The Nasdaq coming off of two-month lows. down Dow up 1.3 percent. S&P 500 just off session highs of 46.22. We're now at 46.17. Nasdaq up by one and a quarter percent. Take a look at that, Russell. Up two and a quarter percent, and the ten-year note rallying today. Uh, the yield that is one point four eight percent. Just yesterday, Steve Weiss, we were lamenting on on what the ten-year yield would tell us, and today it's it's up by about eight basis points in a single single day.
1: Yeah, and actually, uh, as we were lamenting yesterday, the yield was down, and then in the afternoon, we must have heard mm-hmm. our laments. <laughs> because the yield started to rise yesterday afternoon, and it's continuing today. And to me, this is all tied to the realization and the hope that uh, that the virus is just is going to be benign and won't lead to big closures here. So I think that politicians keep coming out, whether they're local or whether they're governor or whether at the presidential level, and saying, look, there's no appetite for closing business, and that's very positive. So that's causing the rally. And the interesting thing is that just over the last couple of months, we've seen that breakdown, that correlation between high yields and the market break down. So here we are at a 150. And, you know, I thought the rally was kind of punk coming into this morning, um, but it's picked up steam. So it does look like it wants to be a Christmas rally going forward, because that's, that's the only really relative, relevant news that we're going to get until the year end.
2: Yep. Yields are up. and We have tech. Higher today we 've got semiconductors up by one point seven percent on the SOX. the IGV the software ETF is up more than a percent today. Jenny Harrington, what do you make of this all?
3: Well, you know not to be a debbie downer, but I started you 'll be a debbie downer' That's fine
4: un- <laughs>
3: I will <laughs> but i 'll smile while i 'm doing it, so it 'll ease the pain. Um, you know I started the quarter off relatively unenthusiastic and I remain unenthusiastic and I think that we're still up, by the way, we're still up 6% on the quarter. That's a lot for a quarter where the Fed started tightening, um, valuation started to really correct. I think there's a long, hard road ahead. Not, you know, not derailing, but long and hard next year. It's going to be a very, very different year where we don't have free money just being dumped on us over and over. Not only is the free money going away, but rates are going to increase, right? The Fed has said, we will start to increase rates. What is it? Three times in 2022 is what's expected now. That's That's a whole different story and that's a real headwind for the market. So it's great that the market's up a bunch today. I'm fully invested because I think over the long term that's always the way that you want to be. But that doesn't make me enthusiastic and it doesn't make me believe like, oh, we've got this great Santa Claus rally coming. I also think that when anything's overly anticipated to the upside or the downside, it generally doesn't play out. And all we've been hearing since December 1st is like, oh, the Santa Claus rally is coming, Santa Claus rally is coming. Well, guess what? You know, we've been expecting that so much that it might not actually happen the way we expect it to. So I'd say take your huge twenty plus percent return that the market's given us this year and just be happy. And don't be greedy. Don't worry about it if the market kind of, you know, festers after this big up day today and maybe it gets you catches another breath of wind later, just be happy that we're up so much and that we've had these big years and manage your expectations going into next year, because I don't think we're going to have another year like this year.
2: Jenny makes a good point in terms of of seeing and, um, you know, potentially cashing in on some pretty big gains this year. But Kramer makes a point today about the reliability of that Santa Claus rally, which, by the way, is the four days before Christmas specifically. Historically, today is the day the Santa Claus rally starts. It worked even during 2007, 2009. So it is hard to doubt at the same time, Jason, do you doubt it? Is this, um, as Stephen Weiss thought at the beginning of the session today, at least, a punk rally? Or, or do you buy into it?
5: Yeah, so I think uh, Steve's point is a great point on the fact that the variant seems to be not as uh, dangerous as, as variants that we've seen in the past. And obviously, it seems to be far more contagious. Uh, but we won't see any shutdowns here in the U.S. and guess what, there's no appetite for it anyway. So that would be a difficult feat as it is. But, you know, I'll I'll say this. I think the focus has really been on the Fed. I mean, it's been a tough tape over the last few days and and last week and a half, I should say. Uh, You know, as as the market really digests Fed commentary from last week, what does repositioning look like going into 2022? Uh, Valuations matter more than they have in the past. And the removal of emergency policy, which uh, quite honestly, I think, it has had to happen for some time now, you know, and just kind of seeing how certain aspects of the market have really been amplified as a result of all the liquidity. So I think it's I think it's possible, but we'll see. You know, I'm kind of in Jenny's camp. I'm, I'm slightly neutral here.
2: Um, Josh, what are your thoughts? And is today a taste of the repositioning that we will see going into the year and in in the new year? We've got financials, energy, industrials outperforming handily. Uh, technology and, and the broader markets.
6: First of all, Melissa, do you miss me? We used to do TV every day at five o'clock. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. How are you?
2: No comment. Uh, your thoughts?
6: No comment. <laughs> all right. All right. I, look, here's so what I want to go with this. For, first of all, we're supposed to be we're supposed to be adults, and we're talking about Santa Claus and Santa Claus rallies and. Last four days of the year. On what planet is any of that meaningful? Who cares what the last four days of the year? This is one of the best years for the S&P 500 in recorded history. It comes on the heels of two other blockbuster years, 30% in 2019, 18.5% in 2020. And so whether or not we go out with 25 or 26% for the S&P in total return really shouldn't matter. I think the big picture is... People who have chosen to play this childish game of virus on, virus off are repeatedly getting chewed up by the market. Let me paint a picture for you. Yesterday, I was at the Broadway Mall. I was in the drive through line for Chick-fil-A. I hadn't looked at stocks since the open. I said, you know what? Let me just take a glance and see what's going on. What's the story of the market today? Here were the top five performing S&P 500 stocks circa 1 p.m. yesterday. Literally. Number one, Carnival Cruise Lines, LOL. And allegedly the the Dow was down 500 points because of the virus. Number two, American Airlines, and then Clorox, and then Kroger, make it make sense, it doesn't. And so this idea that from one day to the next, oh, today's a virus on day. Oh no, the next day, look, the, the staples are selling off. It's a virus off day. Nobody who is playing that game is winning. Nobody, believe me. So what I want people to think about right now, think about right now is, you've got ample opportunities for these unwinds of bearishness, where people put on big hedges, and not without reason, I get it, I get it. People put on these big hedges and they start pressing on stocks like TripAdvisor, which is the best stock in the market today. Live Nation, which is the sixth best. These types of stocks that we think all of a sudden are going back to uh, March of 2020. And Steve Weiss is right. That's not what's happening. Politicians don't have the will to do it and the people won't listen anyway. And so what we're left with is an economy that's growing, emergency policy coming off, but rates not going up. Mm-hmm. And I think exactly where stocks are trading now is where they, they belong.
2: Yeah, I mean I think that, I think that became clear yesterday, Josh, and I think that's and a I good miss point. You. And, and- Oh, that's I do miss you, and I do miss those sorts of rants, those Josh Brownian um, sort of rants about being childish. Santa Claus Rally, by the way, is a term coined back in 1972 by the Stock Traders Almanac. So that's how far it goes, and it is a term uh, that was coined by somebody who's respectable, a respectable market watcher out there, Yale Hirsch. Um, that's I'm just an, kidding. I love that, it. That's I think an it's great. aside. That's an aside. But in terms of the message of the markets yesterday, we saw not only American Airlines and Carnival, but we saw Lyft higher. We saw Staples higher. I mean, it wasn't a clear message. So in terms of stock picking, Jason Snipe, where do you go? Because it's not just about lockdowns. It's about consumer behavior. And if consumers themselves, even if they don't have to shelter in place, even if they don't have to not go to restaurants or whatever the restrictions may or may not be, even if the restrictions are not there, there is the possibility that behavior is curbed on its own. And that will impact um, sales, for instance, going to retail stores, and against tougher comparisons next year, that might not be the best setup for the first half of next year.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So for me, you know, clearly, you know, staples and utilities are leading the market this this month. Uh, they've been laggards all year, you know. But when I turn the turn the calendar to twenty twenty two, I really like healthcare. I like financials. You know, I, I like some defensive parts of the market, but at the same time, I like, I, I think valuation will matter. I think valuation will be very important going into next year. You know, if I look at financials for, for an example, I mean, it's a PE story, not a price of sales story. You know, and I think that financials will benefit from a steepening yield curve. And I think healthcare. care, you know, preventative care, you know, elective surgeries, you know, as we talk about, you know, the, the markets and, and the economy not being shut down, I think those are areas of the market that will benefit um, for this continuing return to everything. So I think those are areas that I like going into 2022. Yeah. The
2: CNBC Investing Club with Jim Cramer, by the way, is out with a list of mega cap names to add to, uh, to your shopping lists out there. And I think the question going at 22 is, do you, do you buy more of these big cap tech names, the ones that had been in favor for so long? Um, Josh, you actually bought more Amazon. Was that just today?
6: I did. Why no, I bought it yesterday. Uh, di- di- I bought it during the sell-off yesterday, mm-hmm. and I think maybe for the first or second time ever, I averaged up at hundred percent higher than my original cost basis. Amazon has been underperforming for 18 months. Mm-hmm. stock had a huge run in the first part of uh, the pandemic, and then really just marked time. The CEO stepped down, new CEO came in, expectations were very high. They met those expectations, but didn't meaningfully guide higher. But I honestly believe, Melissa, and I've been saying this for a while and I've been wrong so far, that the stock is on the verge of a breakout. I think it is the best positioned of the large cap tech names for next year. This is a company that Mark Mahaney referred to as the Tamiest of all TAM stories. It's in a very unique position where they have 40 percent market share of all e-commerce and about 50 percent market share of all of the cloud business. Um, and, and both of those businesses are growing rapidly. Both of those businesses are doing extremely well. I won't even get into prime video. I won't even get into the physical retailing, which is becoming a bigger part of the story and the advertising business, which is gangbusters. So a lot of ways to win an Amazon. It's not traditionally cheap, 66 times, uh, earnings, but why would it be cheap? It's one of the best companies of all time. And I think this is a name that's got a lot of catching up to do relative to the apples the Nvidias, mm-hmm. and the alphabets that got the job done for us this year
2: Tamia sounds real cute um you're referring to total addressable market what, what exactly does that mean in relation to to amazon that their total addressable market is growing or that they've got a huge percent of the total addressable market that is out they're
7: there more and that's dominant growing?
6: they're more do- they're more dominant in their total addressable market than apple The only company of the the, 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 this is in in my view, in my view, if you were to if you were to put out a headline that AWS is going to be spun off as its own uh, as its own publicly traded company, this stock could add 20 percent overnight. If Amazon were to announce a split, which they've been hesitant to do forever, uh, that could be a 10 percent. Like, there are a lot of potential catalysts here. And even if none of those special things happen, Mm -hmm. this business is so dominant, so many prime users. I just fail to see how this one won't perform uh, as we get into 22.
2: Steve, you own this one. What do you think shakes it out of its uh, dormancy, the 18-month underperformance that Josh had pointed out?
1: Here's how I look at all the fangs. I own Facebook, although Mm -hmm. not as much Facebook, as Amazon, as Alphabet, and as Apple. They're compounders. They're the ballast in my portfolio. It's unlikely that in any given year that they will all be outperformers relative to the rest of my portfolio, but it's also unlikely in any given year they'll be the lead underperformers in my portfolio. So I look at these companies as unanalyzable because they've got so many moving parts and they're quiet. They don't talk to the street as others do. As somebody who analyzes stocks, it's difficult for me to do the work on it, other than as Josh is talking directionally. So you gotta like the direction their business is, but they're gonna compound. They're the compounders in my portfolio. So whether you give me 10% or 15% or even 20%, You know, I'm there because I know year in, year out, that's what they'll do. So that's how I look at those. I'd rather spend all my time analyzing other stocks. that will give me the outperformance in my portfolio than those names.
2: Yeah. Jenny, how are you feeling about technology? If we are to believe that the yield curve is going to steepen and rates are going higher, which part do you still believe that the biggest of the big cap techs will be outperformers?
3: No, actually, I haven't believed that. I think that the mega, um, the mega high octane group. I think they're in a lot of trouble. So even though we've seen huge corrections in like the Docky signs and the Zooms and the Pelotons, I think there's more trouble ahead. If you take the Fang, I don't think that they're going to outperform. They make up about 30% of the total market, and they traded an average multiple of 29 times, and their growth doesn't really support continued outperformance. So again, like I started off and I said, look, I'm not enthusiastic, but I'm also not negative that's how I feel about these. I'm not enthusiastic, but I'm also not negative. Me not being psyched about the Fang plus Microsoft and Tesla doesn't mean I think they're going to crack. I just think that they will not lead next year the way they frankly did not lead this year. I think that the You need to come up with a new playbook for if you want to outperform the broader market. So pushing back on Amazon, for example, I don't think, well, I guess I could push back on all of them. Hold on. I get my word here. So (laughs) I know where you're going. But I don't think that you can look at Fang overall and just say, hey, I'm in all of them. Let's say you're starting with fresh money. Okay, if you're starting with fresh money and you need to put it to work today, look at uh, meta. Sorry, I still say Facebook. But like look at meta, for example, versus Amazon. Amazon should probably have about 25% growth next year, trading at 66 times earnings. Facebook, Meta, sorry, trades at about 20 times earnings, sorry, 23 times earnings and has about 20% growth. Which would I rather own? I would rather own the one that has Almost the same growth and trading at less than half the multiple. So I don't think you paint them with the broad brush. but I don't think that they lead the way they have in the past. They're still a solid investment. Steve's not wrong that they're the compounders. They just for the next ten years, I do not think will lead the way they did for the past ten.
2: Is there a bet butt from Josh but, Brown but here's coming? The deal. Oh, uh, from Steve. Go ahead. There's like
3: seven butts from Josh yeah, here. I, there,
1: there, uh, there are other uh, calculations that go into stocks such as recurring revenues. That's Microsoft. That's Amazon. That's Apple, that's even Facebook. So you have that residual revenue stream that's gonna support part of your earnings. You pay for that. That's not in the multiple alone. It should be in the multiple, that's why the higher multiple, but it's not in the valuation multiple. Then there's also the brand. They have great brands, they have global brands, and those brands allow them to extend their product offerings, which is additional growth. So just to say, hey, this is growing at 20% and selling at 20 PE, that's not the entire analysis. That's why you own these stocks, because they have essentially fortresses around their revenue streams.
2: I want to get to Josh as well. Seven butts from Josh Brown sounds like a different kind of cable show. But Josh, how do you defend your Amazon position?
6: (laughs) Well, I I would just say to Jenny, absolutely, uh, you're entitled to your opinion. But the facts are the facts. You didn't think any of these would outperform this year either, because I specifically remember a variety of disagreements we had about that. And yet... This year the S&P 500 over the last 12 months did 24.9% uh, in total return. Apple did 35, Microsoft did 47, Alphabet did 64, almost triple. So size is Amazon not size and, and PE multiple s- sorry. Alphabet is Google. No, so it's collectively, size is Josh? not the only the only thing worth considering. Well, hold on. Hold on. Size is not the only thing worth considering. And bear in mind, we don't need market caps to just continue to grow to the sky. The three companies that I mentioned are buying in stock. And that's how you could see share prices continue to rise at a faster rate than uh, something like market capitalization or percentage of the the S&P. So it's not that I think these stocks will just always outperform all the time. I just think the argument that they're too big to keep outperforming or too loved or all of the nonsense that we've been hearing now for about five years since they've been the largest companies in the market has been uh, self-defeating and has not worked as a a rule of thumb or a way to analyze these companies and their forward uh, ability to put up numbers because they're doing that despite their size, not because of it.
2: I think this exact debate is the quandary that a lot of investors are in right now as we head into the end of the year. They they may own this in their portfolio, probably through ETFs, and they're wondering, can it keep going? But Jenny, I want to get the last word from you in your defense. Thanks. Thank you.
3: Um, No, Josh, you're bringing up a good point. I shouldn't say just because they have, they can't, or just because of the size. But if you look at any historical comparison, if you go back to the dot-com boom, if you go back earlier than that, whenever the top five or 10 stocks have taken up a disproportionate percent of the overall market, they have relatively plateaued for the following decade. And so I look at that and I look at an apple, right? Let's pick on an apple. Apple has earnings growth in 2022 of 2 percent. And the following year, it's expected to be 5.5%. It's still trading at a 30 times multiple. That math simply doesn't work for it to be up another 35%. Like, I know that you love to love stocks, and I try not to love stocks, right? But it takes so much love to support those multiples. Say Apple maintains its 30 30 times multiple. Even with that, right, like, it just... It's not going to have much growth on the share price to just maintain it. So I think, I think they plateau. I think you need to find a new playbook for next year if you want to outperform. All right, And speak- I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I know this sounds bad, but size does matter
2: here, too. It's just too much. Also another cable show. Um, okay, let's get to financials here coming off their worst day in about a month. I mean, if you're looking for another playbook, Weiss, maybe this is it. You're buying more Bank of America, even though financials overall as a sector has underperformed the S&P 500 for the past, what, seven months or so?
1: Well, let's talk about that, that because that goes right back to our conversation we had earlier in yields. So my view is that the yield curve is going to steepen. Uh, bank of America is not down a lot, actually. It's down 10 percent, but I think it's th- that the performance has not been great. It's been good. I've made good money in the stock. To me, it's the best bank stock to own there. I also own Goldman, but that's in a different category. So I think next year will be the year of financials. Uh, And I'm going to get that because I'm going to get a steepening yield curve. I'm going to probably get three rate increases all the while, while an economy is doing fine. So look, these are the best companies out there in terms of being battle tested for any environment, any economic, any regulatory environment. So I think next year will be the year where banks lead.
2: Yeah, you got to be a believer, though, Jason, you got to be a believer in the steepening yield curve. And we saw a glimpse of it overnight. We went from what, what we thought was flattening to, to sort of reversing that. So we have a glimmer of hope here.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the KRE, which is a regional bank ETF that we own, is down you know close to 4% for uh, the month to date. You know, the XLF is down about 30, 30 basis points month to date. But, yeah, you absolutely have to be a believer in the yield uh, curve steepening. I think, you know, from a market sentiment perspective, I think, You know, just like we talked about the top, you know, thinking about this virus and, you know, what the impact was there and, you know, that it might not be as pervasive as we potentially or or the impact might not be as dangerous as we potentially thought it might be. You know, those types of things do affect the yield curve. And obviously moving into a tightening environment is also a big deal. I mean, we're. We're not going to be in the same accommodative emergency policy scenario that we've been in for almost two years. So I think those are catalysts and tailwinds for the financial sector as a whole. So I, I like diversified financials here. Like but I also think that the other main point is loan growth. I think loan growth does come back in 2022, and I think that will be a strong tailwind as well.
2: You think we see that, Josh? Because it's not just the steepening yield curve. It's also loan growth. That's key.
6: Yeah, I think the banks are set up well. I particularly love the banks that seem to be disrupting themselves. Goldman and J.P. Morgan come to mind. Mm -hmm. They uh, are thinking and acting and hiring and building more like technology companies than they are like traditional financial institutions, yet they retain all of that scale um, that the financial institutions have historically had, and their balance sheets are better than ever. So. I think we're going to see the fruits of some of that innovation start to actually turn into earnings and revenue growth in the coming year at the two companies that I mentioned. I'm long J.P. Morgan. I have been for a long time. And there will come a day where we stop calling one group of these things banks and another group fintech. They're all going to be fintech. And I think I think uh, some of the winners are starting to become more apparent now.
2: Yeah. um, Jenny, this is the one group that everybody seems to agree on. Happy holidays. Which ones, know, so <laughs> Which ones do you own? i <laughs> so uncomfortable. Which ones do you own?
3: So, we own New York Community Bank. We own Umpqua. Um, we own HR Block. We own Western Union now and American Express. I think these are all interesting ways to play it. Oh, also, I would love to own some of the big banks that Josh mentioned. The thing for us is that we have very high hurdles on free cash flow yield for our growth portfolio and dividend yield for our income portfolio. So, they just don't fit right now. But it's a bummer because if you look at them, If you look at the banks overall, they're trading at between nine and 14 times earnings. They're the second cheapest group of stocks in the entire S&P 500, just behind behind energy. They're, um, sorry, they're growing their earnings in the kind of high single to maybe low double-digit range once earnings normalize. And they have really, really professional management teams, and they mint cash flow. So they don't need to go to the capital markets. They don't need to go to Silicon Valley for fundraising. They just have the cash that they need. Josh brought up a really important point, which is that one day we're going to stop differentiating between banks and fintech, and they all will be fintech. The technology that they're employing now is absolutely astonishing. So I think that this is a place where we could make a lot of money again next year and probably... It probably should outperform the broader market to be in the financials.
2: All right. Let's get to energy. Like Jason. And I
3: like the regionals. Uh-huh.
2: Okay. Uh, energy rebounding today after dipping into correction territory. It is still the best performing sector of the year on pace to post more than 40 percent gains. And uh, Jenny, you own some of these names as well.
3: Right. So here we own Chevron, Total, Royal Dutch, Kinder Morgan, stocks like that. Interestingly, people keep saying like, oh, you own the energy stocks, you must have had a killer year because of them. Interestingly, they're up a lot, like Chevron's up 43% this year, but they're they're actually not some of the biggest drivers in the portfolio. The biggest drivers in the portfolio this year are randoms, which I think the reason I bring that up is because I think there's still more room to go in the energy stocks. This is the cheapest sector in the S&P 500, and as much as I would love to drive to work you know, fueling my car with rainbows and unicorns. That's not happening for a long time. And I think we need to be realistic that we are dependent on fossil fuels. And for as long as we are, there there are companies that need to support that. The other cool thing is, and I think this is real. I know this sounds like, oh, she's being crazy and she thinks this time's different. But I think that capital discipline is truly coming in or has come into this space. After energy traded into negative territory in the spring of 2020, I think that both sovereignties and individual oil companies or energy companies got a true dose of reality and they never want to see that happen again so that's still very visceral and real and as a result there's there's really rational behavior in this in this space and companies are thinking oh gee I'd rather sell oil at 70 bucks a barrel or 80 bucks a barrel than just drill baby drill and overly compete so you've got increasing demand you've got constrained supply Super cheap multiples, decent earnings growth, and rational behavior, that's a pretty good setup for next year. All right. But I don't think mm-hmm. we'll see plus 50% again. Okay.
2: Micron shares surging after earnings and a bullish call-out today on another big name in the semi-space. The debate and the trades are next. half times back in two minutes.
7: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's one-billion-member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter.
0: I'm Christina Partsnevelis, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer urging people to get vaccinated and do what they can to avoid getting COVID. She says the state's health care system is already strained as the Omicron variant takes hold and unvaccinated patients are taking up too many beds in the state's hospitals. Tesla's Model Y SUV getting the top safety pick plus rating from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. The group says recent changes have improved front crash prevention. And unruly passengers may now face another penalty. Those who are hit with FAA fines may also lose TSA PreCheck eligibility. The TSA says PreCheck is reserved for low-risk travelers and excluding unruly passengers will promote the safety of all travelers. On the news tonight, smuggling drugs into prisons is on the rise. See what's being done to stop it tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Melissa, back to you. All right, Christina, thank you. Let's take a check on the markets because we are at session
2: highs for the S&P as well as the NASDAQ. S&P up by 62 points, 1.4 percent is the gain there. The NASDAQ is up by 234 or 1.6 percent. Not a coincidence, we are also watching the 10-year yield bump to 1.49 percent. So that's the trend of late. Um, The direction of the markets is being dictated uh, by the direction of yields. Meantime, we're watching NVIDIA. That is down nearly 15 percent this month, but it's still the best performing chip stock this year. And it's just been named a top 2022 pick over at UBS. The firm noting its stable revenue sources. It is our call of the day. Um, Josh and Jason, you both own it. So Jason, I'll start off with you. What do you like about this? And and you want to own the winners? I mean, you take a look at a Micron, which has been an underperformer, posted good earnings, good margins, and they're jumping today.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So NVIDIA is just, I mean, just been a tremendous name. We've owned it since 2013, obviously, it's up over 100 percent year to date, down slightly, you know, 15 percent month to date, as you mentioned. But you know, just the interstate and where they sit, AI, data center, deep learning, you know, I just I just think there's so many catalysts for this name going forward. I mean just where they reside, you know, from a semi perspective. I also you know, I don't I don't think this arms deal uh will likely go down uh due to some kind of uh you know obviously what's what's going on from an antitrust uh perspective but you know I, I think NVIDIA, that's a great call. I think it will continue to run. At some point, evaluation will matter, you know, but this is one that's just, I think it's worth the price of admission. So NVIDIA, I think it's just a great call here.
2: Josh, you'd think that when rising rates are approaching that that's when valuation would matter. But, you know, I was listening to a semiconductor analyst yesterday and they said something very interesting. I hadn't thought about it in, in quite this way, but chip stocks are the arms dealers for everything that's hot in the future, whether it be, as Jason mentioned, AI, Metaverse, Web 3.0, all those things. You say those on an earnings call, Josh, and you're in pretty good shape.
6: Right. So that's the push and pull between how great the fundamentals are Mm -hmm. versus how expensive the stock is. And actually, the stock is more expensive now than it was even three years ago. Um, On a P.E. basis, it's about 84 times uh, trailing 12 months earnings compare that to the S&P at 28, compare that to the semi-sector, which is closer to 50, like there's, or or, excuse me, compare that to the average NVIDIA multiple over the last few years, which is closer to 50. Like there's no way to say, oh, this is a cheap stock, great opportunity. However, being an expensive stock has not held this back from being 108% return this year because it was expensive going into 2021. (laughs) So that hasn't, that really has not been Uh, the best way to think about what the stock may do. I would just say this, GPU chips are gonna be on fire all year. Video gaming, uh, PC gaming, consoles, the demand so far outstrips anything that any company can supply that it's gonna be all systems go, almost no matter what happens in the the broader economy. And then you think about data center, more importantly, hyperscale data center, which is the next level where everyone's going. You cannot do this with linear processors. You need GPUs to power these hyperscale data centers. NVIDIA is almost the only show in town, and that business is growing at a kager that you really can't find anywhere else in technology. So you take those things, and then you think about things that are a little bit further off into the future, but potentially extremely meaningful. Everything from uh, robotics to AI, virtual reality, the omniverse, all of that stuff and you think about autonomous driving, you just say to yourself, okay, in any given year or quarter, there might be one component of NVIDIA's business that's not great. What are the odds that most of them aren't great? Very low. That's why people are paying up for the stock. I understand why some people would not want to pay up for the stock. I get it. Different people have different disciplines. Uh, but I would just point out valuation, if you were to look at 10 different factors on NVIDIA over the last 10 years, has probably been in last place in terms of its ability to predict what this name would do.
2: is out with a bullish note also on semiconductors today, saying that they expect the positive fundamentals that the group has seen to continue into 2022. The one thing that gets them, wise potentially is an inventory correction. If people were loading up on chips in advance, they could be overloaded, they could be a little bit bloated, there could be that inventory correction. You love semis, though. You just bought one, Weiss. Which one?
1: I did. I bought on semiconductor, and the reason why I bought it is because they're in every space I want to be in. They own the auto market. The stock, when they reported last quarter, hit a new high, and I was waiting for it to pull back. It hadn't pulled back much, and I bought some. So it's now full position for me. Um, look. They're in 5G telecom. As I mentioned, they're in autos. They are in robotics. I'm a big believer in the industrialization changing to go more robotic because of labor shortages. That's one of the reasons why I own GXO, fully robotic cobots in their warehouses. So they are now, It's semis I'm talking about, are in a unique place. Because whereas they used to be thought of as cyclical, now they're not thought of as cyclical. They're thought of as pure growth industry. But these are my concerns, one being an inventory correction. We don't know what double orderings out there, mm-hmm. although frankly, a lot of those companies couldn't fill double orders because they couldn't fill the single orders. The other issue is, and this is more of companies like Skyworks or Corvo, we, I think will be okay, is that if you ship into Apple, into an iPhone, and let's say, for argument's sake, there are 100 parts there. While Skyworks will meet their obligations and ship the production, because they've owned their fabs, and the same true of, of ON, they will meet their production. I don't know that the others that ship these same devices or cars will meet it. So that could cause... You know, a disappointment in the quarter. But if you look past this quarter and next quarter, these are the place to be. There's perpetual growth here right. as far as the eye can see. Can I, so that's why I like these I companies. Gotta, I have to ask and you a by question. by the way, one more thing. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go, ahead. What,
2: go ahead. What the heck is a cobot? Did you say that? They've got cobots in their warehouses? Yes, I did. Is it a robot? Is cobots it a bar- are, work
1: alongside. It, it, it is. It works alongside humans, basically. Oh. And it works alongside other robots. Cobots. There you go.
2: That's news. This that is a big use. week
1: of learning for you, Mel. It's huge. First, first you know learned about I the race and semis, and now
2: I know so much to learn yeah. here. Yeah, please come Thank back. Thank you, Investment yeah. Committee. Okay, up next, we're following the money as private equity investors face rising costs and extra fees. Half times back right after this.
1: Recent weakness in solar stocks should reverse in 2022, according to analysts at Citi, saying that selling on recent news has been overdone and cost pressures will likely ease next year. Citi maintains positive ratings on companies like Solar SolarEdge, Enphase Energy and Canadian Solar. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day.
7: You seek the key.
2: Welcome back to the halftime report. It's getting more expensive for private equity
4: investors. Our Leslie Pickers following the money for us on that story. Hey, Les. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, lots of businesses are passing additional costs to their customers these days. Despite record profits, it appears that private equity is no exception. The PE model charges investors in their funds a management fee, usually around two percent of AUM, to you know keep the lights on, plus a percentage of performance. But Ancillary fees have also been rising, according to a new report by the Institutional Limited Partners Association. The trade group surveyed limited partners who invest in funds. These are Pension funds, endowments, family offices, things like that, and a quarter of them reported administrative expenses like in-house legal accounting and computer software had shifted outside the traditional management fees. Fund formation costs have jumped 123 percent over the last decade to $3.6 million, the report showed. But private equity firms continue to smash records for fundraising, indicating they still have the upper hand in coaxing investors to hand over their cash to manage. And their public market investors are along for the ride. Shares of the four big publicly traded firms each more than doubling the return of the S&P 500 this year after reporting record combined distributable earnings. Melissa.
2: All right, Leslie, thank you, Leslie Picker. Well, Wall Street's top picks for 2022 keep rolling out. We'll hit the trades on a few of those calls next on the Halftime Report. Cisco hitting a new 52-week high. The stock is now up more than 35 percent this year. Jenny, is this value tech? You own this one.
3: I think it is still value tech, even though it's up 36 percent this year. So this is a direct beneficiary of return to the office. And I don't mean that you need to work in the office. People just needed to be able to get back into the office. So as we do more and more Zooms that and, and remote meetings, that puts a huge strain on networks. Companies need to invest in the networks. We think that Cisco should grow their earnings in the 10 to 15% range going forward. We think that the share price should follow. Again, it trades at 17 times. So I think you've got probably 10 to 15% returns for the foreseeable future. The way Steve said earlier that he has the, the big stocks as compounders in his portfolio, this is a compounder in our portfolio, a long, long-term holding.
2: Um, let's get to AbbVie. It was named a top pick in the pharma space over at J.P. Morgan. Um, Jason, you, you've got this one. What do you like about AbbVie?
5: Yeah really like AbbVie. I mean, dividend yield of 4.32%. Obviously, it's been a great winner this year, up over 21%. But I think the big deal with Adv is they have a really strong pipeline. They're diversifying away from their Hemera uh, drug, which has been their top revenue producer. So I, I really like what they're doing in the blood cancer business. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great name here, you know, especially with that yield. Uh, it's very attractive.
2: I want to get to Weiss. You actually started two new positions. In biotech, uh, Michael Yee was on the network of Jeffries just uh, recently, I think last week or something, and he said about biotech this year, there was a a buyer strike. I think that's sort of putting it politely (laughs) when you take a look at the troubles it's had. Why did you do this?
1: Yeah, and Michael's a good analyst. Mm -hmm. I've spoken to him many times. although we disagree on the direction of Moderna. Actually, it's not true. He thinks it goes up. He knows it's got a hold. Look, the reason I did it is because it's been a terrible performance this year. So I bought the XBI and I bought the BBI. Uh, One's smaller cap, one's larger cap. And I think that they don't go two, uh, two years, and I've looked. They don't go two years of down years. And they don't go two years with such poor performance in a row. But I didn't buy it because of the calendar. I bought it because I love what's happened with biotech. I don't like what happens with, you know, the R&D pipelines of Big Pharma. They've been notoriously poor capital allocators. And what they've been doing is they've been buying small biotech. So that'll make the whole group lift. I do think there's been a lot of issuance. I don't expect that issuance to continue, so less supply. So I think the market's very well set up for biotech to have a great year next year.
2: Yeah, Carter Worth Worth Charting saying uh, just today, just this morning, that biotech's putting an important relative bottom to health care. So watch this one in 2022. The investment committee like is ready to, <laughs> ready to answer your questions next and Ask Halftime. We will be back in two minutes. Take a check on Matterport. It is up by more than 8% today. Uh, Wed Bush out with a note today saying that it is in their top five candidates for M&A targets in 2022, either by a financial or a strategic buyer, along with four others. Um, Josh, you own this one. You think you keep going? Is it a target in your view?
6: I don't. All right. So I let me just say, mm-hmm. I don't know anything. I could only make guesses along with other people. But if there is a large company that's, like, extremely – involved in the metaverse, it would strike me that this company's assets and abilities would be perfect. So from my perspective, that could be like any of the video game software creators. It it could be meta. It could be Google that if they want spatial data as part of all the data that they warehouse. So that, of course, could happen. I don't expect it. That's not why I own the stock. It's a small market cap, Melissa. So you know, at $5.6 billion, it makes these outrageous moves up and down on any given day. Um, and you just have to kind of take that volatility uh, that comes along with it. But two weeks ago, they announced an Amazon uh, Web Services deal that I think might be the most important thing they'll announce all year. And it got a lot of attention that day. And then the market, the high beta names fell apart and this got killed with them. But I don't think that should have been the case. So I'm sticking to my guns in Matterport. I'm an investor, not a trader. And I'm really excited for some new announcements that should be coming throughout the course of 22.
2: All right. Now it's up 11 uh, percent. Time for Ask Halftime. A question for Steve Weiss coming in from Barbara in Woodland Hills, California. I am in a real dilemma about Dick's sporting goods. Should I hold or sell at a substantial loss? Steve Weiss has been an advocate of this stock. I would really appreciate some advice. So what do you tell Barbara?
1: So, here's the story. Jenny referenced the large cap tech stocks and said, you know, size, size hurts. Well, size does matter with Dick's Sporting Goods, and they are the biggest. As a result of being the biggest, they will get the deals that they got with Nike, these partnerships where they get preferred treatment and styles before anybody else. Additionally, the chairman bought $3 million worth of stock. It's down with all the retail sector, but this stock is much cheaper at this price than it was at $140. That because at 140, uh, I'm sorry, it's much cheaper at 140 than it was at 120 at the beginning of the year. Because at 120, it was going to earn $10, and that was a 12 multiple. At 140, it was going to earn 14, that's a 10 multiple. So it's extremely cheap here at about eight to nine times earnings. So I would not have only own it, I'd buy more. I did, I added to it.
2: All right. So you really like uh, Dick's. I hear all the snickering, by the way, your comments, Steve, snickering across the country's rippling through. I don't know why. Um, Final (laughs) trades next on Halftime. Don't forget to join me at five tonight on Fast Money. Tom Lee of Fundstrat will bring his uh, 2022 outlook. He likes health care and energy, among other things. Um, I think Weiss called his uh, call on on the bottom a folly, so uh, I'll ask him about that, too. (laughs) Final Trades time. Jason, what do you say?
5: So I like like CVS here. Obviously, we've had a great year, up almost 50 percent, 2 percent yield, really strong investor day a couple weeks back. Stay long, CVS. Jenny.
3: AT&T. It's been under even more pressure than usual because people hate it, and there's been a ton of tax loss selling. Both of those are abating. Only a few trading days left, and there are a few positive analyst reports lately. I think more to follow. Weiss?
1: Jabil Circuit, JBL, they reported a great deal yesterday with Carnival. Will it improve the customer experience? When I look at the cheap tech stocks I own, this comes to the front of the line. So Jabil, I think go up significantly from here,
6: executing phenomenally well.
2: Josh, I've been thinking I'll show. I think I do miss you a little bit. So what's your final trade?
6: Oh, Melissa. <laughs> final trade is Amazon hoping for a better year next year than this year.
2: All right. Thanks for watching. The exchange begins right now.
6: You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the
1: podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.